throughout all of the efforts that happened yesterday, a coordinated minute by minute, hour by hour plan that was carried out by so many of our city departments led by this team here, we saw that not a single person was forcibly removed from the encampments, no arrests were made. And I just want to address, I know, I, I want to just emphasize how different what happened yesterday has been from what we've seen in other cities or, or in the past, that this was truly grounded in public health and housing, working with folks every single day for weeks. And in the case of the Boston Public Health Commission street outreach teams and Pine Street and St. Francis House, and so many of our providers for years to make sure that relationships were built and that people's individualized needs, their healthcare needs, mental health needs, recovery needs, were documented, known, and then wrapped around with services. Many of the belongings, either some questions I had gotten about why, um, why get rid of the very important belongings that people had, and, and we saw images of the tents being removed and some of the possessions inside. And so just to give a little light into how that process went, the team went in tent by tent, personally checking to make sure that no one was inside and working with every resident to not only connect them to housing, but to get their consent that whatever belongings they did not want to put in storage or take with them could be disposed of. And so consent forms were given to residents. Residents signed consent forms for their tents and whatever they wanted to leave behind to be uh, discarded. Sorry. Um, the question is, what happens to the first person who comes back and tries to set up a tent? So um, right now, there's actively, there's um, outreach workers in the area, as well as patrols at night. There's increased patrolling, um, which if you want to speak to, you can. Um, the, uh, the, the way that we've approached this and will continue to approach this is leading with public health and leading with the relationships we have with individuals. So the first um, move when somebody comes in like that will be to do an outreach, try to find them an alternative space. If all else fails, then the encampment protocol is still in place across the city, and we'll go through that procedure. But um, our goal will be to approach the person and offer them the support and services that they need. And I'm going to pick it up from there. Welcome back to another episode of the Woo Watch. I am still your host, Evan George, to talk about all of the important things going on with Michelle Wu and her administration. Now, the cold open was... Primarily, Michelle Wu, a few different audio clips from her press conference this morning streamed together. People want to say I took her out of context. You can, but I think that's unfair. And the last audio clip, I believe, was from Dr. Monica Burrell, who has been the point person for Mass and Cass for Michelle's administration. Now, we are going to get to those comments. I'm going to try to give a narrative in terms of how this has unfolded over the past few days. We're going to look back to begin with on 2019. Obviously, I have a lot of my own thoughts on how this was handled. I'm going to be relying heavily on the reporting of people who were on the ground yesterday, primarily Tory Bedford. And we will talk about how I view this to be a complete change of strategy from what Michelle Wu was doing previously and why she was lying in the earlier clips that she said today. So I said I wanted to start 
back in 2019. And the reason for that was at the beginning of August of 2019, under the Walsh administration, the Boston Police Department conducted Operation Clean Sweep, which was nearly identical to what we saw yesterday with some asterisks. And one of the most vivid photos of people's memory, and I'm sure you remember this also, is the image of a dumpster truck crushing wheelchairs. Now, here is Michelle Wu's response on August 7th, 2019. This image represents a cruelty that government should try to stop, not carry out. The stories from advocates remind me of how the closure of the Long Island Bridge happened, people in need being displaced, destabilized, and stigmatized. Michelle continues on a Twitter thread. But the urgent need for clean and safe streets can't come at the expense of destabilizing treatment for those who need it and destroying property of those who have no home to store things while just moving people on to somewhere else. So the destruction of property, the statements that government should be there to stop these things from happening, not to carry them out. Those are Michelle's words from 2019. And if you were to believe on face value her statements today, they are still ideologically consistent. However, we will get to why that is not true. Now, I am labeling this as a departure from what was her original strategy, though, obviously, I think with hindsight, this was the plan all along. I am marking it as a departure because Michelle Wu was making very significant gains in expanding housing opportunities and relying on one-on-one conversations and relationship building with people who are living along Mass and Cass, who I'm sure if you're listening to this, you already know, choose to be there versus shelter alternatives because of the treatment they've received at shelters, because they are kicked out if they're still reliant on any sort of drugs or alcohol, because they have been the victims of sexual assault, of physical assault, of harassment, that they feel safer within the community of mass and caste, that it is better for them in their estimation, and I think this is a more than rational assessment that every human being can make, they are safer to be on the street within the community of mass and caste than in one of these shelters. So the types of shelters that I was praising Michelle Wu for and will continue to praise the city for running are identified as being low threshold, which I'm sure there's a lot of different designations. Ultimately, what I am primarily concerned with is that people are provided with housing and they are not removed from that housing simply because of drug or alcohol use. As those sort of sober houses, decades of research on this do not help. That the most useful models are ones that have housing first. And while maybe there are even better versions of this than what we've seen here in Boston thus far, I will give credit to the opening of those for the usage of the Roundhouse Hotel along Mass and Cass. And according to the numbers given, I think it's something close to 150 people were able to find housing. And I know that is a word that people do not like to be used in this context. I might use it simultaneously with sheltering or with temporary housing. 
I understand that argument, but for the sake of this, I might just continue to refer to it as housing. Roughly, again, 150 people were able to find placement in these lower threshold housing using the Roundhouse, the Shardock, Envisioned Hotel. Now, for whatever reason, Michelle Wu had a self-imposed deadline of January 12th. If I had to guess, this was picked when one... The people that they surveyed in a city survey in December, I think they found roughly 140. Once they had enough of these housing units to match that number, and two, to use the justification of cold winter temperatures, which I don't think they could have foreseen that we would have had one of our coldest days on that Tuesday. But if somebody asked me, when do you think the weather would be the most dangerous to have people sleeping outside? I would have said middle to end of January. And so once they secured enough of these housing spaces, once they had a justification in terms of the weather where people would be at the most risk from sleeping outside, they decided to abandon simply using those one-on-one conversations and to forcibly remove them. Now, I will get to the forcibly removed in a second. But still, on Monday, there was an announcement. They had another press conference, similar people to what we heard to today. They probably said the word public health 50 times when asked directly, like you heard at the end of what will you do if people will not comply. There is always this underlying tension and threat of, well, the police will be there. And so never really addressing it, but it is always just under the current of If you do not comply, you will be arrested. I have no doubt in my mind that that is deliberately said to people who are going through this, that you must do this. This is the law. If you're in violation of the law, we can arrest you. And I think even just that threat alone is enough to say that you are forcing people to do things that they do not want to do. But before we get to the evidence of that, on I believe it was the Tuesday before the Wu administration, I mean, literally from the office of Mayor Michelle Wu on the letterhead, it is, quote, City of Boston issues media guidelines for reporters covering the area surrounding Mass Ave and Romania Cass Boulevard. And I have never seen a document like this in terms of here in Boston, in terms of covering what has been going on in Mass and Cass. I don't have the official time that this was announced, but I'll read from it directly. In an effort to respect privacy and to ensure the city's outreach workers can engage with individuals, media is advised to please stay at least 50 feet away from individuals. Please do not get direct footage of people's faces. Please allow enough space for outreach workers to engage with individuals in private. Now, just the issue, issuing of media guidelines for what is something occurring on a public street is eyebrow-raising, to use an annoying, pretentious phrase. And it was stated that that 50 feet separation, according to the mayor's office, that was a typo. It was actually supposed to be 10 feet. Now, was that legitimately just a typo? Did they announce that once they realized and got pushback of how ridiculous it is to tell the press you need or we advise that you stay 50 feet away? That took a lot of flack, so let's shorten it to 10. I don't know. 
maybe I would have given the benefit of the doubt earlier, but from what I heard from today's press conference, lying necessarily isn't a problem. So that was the media guidelines issued on Tuesday. And then the following day, at really the crack of dawn, they started this. So let's address the people gave their consent before they had their items thrown away. Here is a, a tweet from Tori from that Wednesday. Maddie had been staying in a shelter, coming back to his makeshift shelter this morning to see it destroyed, his clothes and blankets in a garbage truck. Quote, they took everything I had. That person did not give consent to have all of their possessions thrown away. So immediately, on the face, the statement that everyone gave their consent to have their possessions thrown away is a lie. The concept that every single person they collected consent forms besides this one person is, again, dubious. But we have evidence of that not being followed. There was no, oh, we don't know whose possession this is yet. We can't throw it away without consent. So again, on the face, that is wrong and a lie. The idea that no one was forced. Let's go back to another tweet from Tory Bedford. City workers are marking tents ready for demolition with an X, but last checks are not being conducted. A tent was recently almost demolished with a person inside of it. The idea that everyone is giving their consent, that no one is being forced to leave, is completely ridiculous. They are having their possessions destroyed against their will, and by possessions I mean shelter to survive. They have police officers operating under the threat of, we will arrest you if you do not comply. That is what that underlying tone is that was given, that is clearly stated. And finally, because she used the specific language of how different this is from everything else, let's read now from Tory's article today, WGBH. And forgive my mispronunciation of these two names. Quote, But Rebring and Delbury along with several others living in encampments in the area, were not provided permanent housing, and were instead told to stay at nearby shelters. Nothing is different about this, Rebring told GBH News. The city is just doing the same thing as before. Quoting now about how these two people, one being HIV positive, the other has cancer, saying that they do not feel safe in staying in congregates sheltering where they feel that they'll be at risk of COVID-19. Quoting again from this couple. People there are sneezing and coughing. They don't wear masks. It's terrifying. Because of my health and her health, I prefer to stay outside and not be around people. I don't want to risk our lives. Again, the idea that people were not forced to make this choice is a complete lie. Continuing from the article. After losing their tent, the couple says they don't know where they'll go next though the city has placed them on a waiting list for housing. Quoting back from the couple, I have a couple of blankets. I got some clothing there. So, you know, I'll just go into a corner and wait for God to give me a sign. The idea that these people were not forced to do this is a lie. Period. I would have had infinitely more respect, though just as outraged, if Michelle today said plainly, there were some people who we had to compel to go to a shelter for their own safety because it is not safe enough to be sleeping outside and we are already seeing 
deaths and hospitalizations because of exposure. This was a public health crisis and we needed to do it. That carries infinitely more to me integrity than just simply saying this was different than everything before. No one was forced to do everything. Everything's great. That is a lie. And the largest concern that I have for the people who I forget who it was, someone from one of the associations of businesses saying that yesterday was Christmas and 4th of July rolled into one for them, is that this does not work. You cannot force people into treatment, into services, into housing that they do not want to go to. This is the reason why they choose not to use government services, is because of the distrust and because of the dehumanized treatment that they endure. To say it again, the city is just doing the same thing as before. So we don't know what the direct aftermath of this will be. On November 8th, there was an opinion piece in the Boston Globe titled, what our simulation models project will happen after Boston dismantles mass and cast encampments. And this was using modeling and prior examples of sweeps of homeless encampments, quoting now from the article, with little evidence exists that sweeps are effective, there is a dearth of hard evidence that they are harmful. We are public health researchers who work on simulation models of drug use to investigate the impact of policy changes on the overdose crisis. Now, as a caveat, this statistical modeling did not take into account the new type of housing that has been made available and was running off of, and I'll just read it directly, quote, when they are swept up, some people in the simulation are mandated to court-ordered addiction treatment while the rest are dispersed. We assume that some people who are dispersed will find emergency housing, but that the interruption will result in reduced access to harm reduction services and a higher chance of falling out of addiction care for all people. So again, as an asterisk, this study, this model did not use it. However, here was their findings and the result of a sweep. Quote, we project that the cleanup will lead to an immediate 30% increase in the overdose rate amongst those who have been living in the encampment. We found a 20 to 40% increase in the various simulations depending on the assumptions we made in the models. Further, because sudden disruptions can take a long time to equilibrate, the overdose rate will remain elevated for approximately nine months after the sweep. In total, we project about a 12% total increase in overdose mortality over the course of the years following a clean sweep. Additionally, our models predict that six months after the simulated sweep, fewer people will be seeking treatment for opioid use disorder in Boston, in the year following the sweep, hospitalizations for complications of drug use will probably rise by 11 to 15% for endocarditis, 4% for skin infections, 46% for overdose. You cannot force people into things against their will and expect a positive result. Unless... How you are measuring positivity is, are the local business owners happy? When Michelle Wu was taking the nighttime tour of Mass and Cass last night, where as of around, I think, 6.50 p.m., there were still roughly 50 people who had no housing or shelter. I do not know what the final count was. I think at the last minute, they were just giving people hotel rooms. I don't know. But... As they were overseeing the final sweep and the final cleanup, quoting again, 
Wu and Sue Sullivan of the New Market Business Association watched the final street cleaning. So who was this really for? Why did the Wu administration, and I will continue to call it a change in direction, though it's very hard not to see that this wasn't planned ahead of time, why weren't they continuing with what they already had, which was a successful model of one-on-one conversations, I believe at, up until this sweep, over 80 people had already agreed to go into these new lower threshold. Why not continue? Why not take the time? Is it because you wanted to make Sue Sullivan happy? And I will leave you now with this. And I think the first episode I did of the Wu Watch, which scroll down and find it, talking about how Michelle rose to power over the decade, maybe 12 years, here in Boston. I said that she was on a relentless pursuit of power and that we will figure out why. And yesterday's actions do not bode well for why she wants power.